0: We are in a series uh, called Understanding Jesus. We're working our way to Easter, which is just in a few weeks. And uh, Easter, of course, is when we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior, and the life that he brings to us and offers to us. And uh, in this series, we're working our way through several chapters in the Gospel of John. We started in chapter uh, Uh, 14 and we're working our way through chapter 20. This week we're in chapter 15. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, John chapter 15 is where we'll be. This week the big idea of the message is that Jesus brings transformation. Last week we saw how Jesus uh, offered uh, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to empower us and, and to give us strength in our pursuit of Jesus, our life of following him. And this week, we look at what Jesus wants to bring to our lives, which is transformation. He brings about transformation through our connection with him. Uh, What does transformation mean? Well, uh, in general, a simple definition is a marked change for the better. A marked or notable change for the better. Following Jesus, we stay uh, connected to him and grow in him. Our lives are going to change. He's going to produce good change in us. Uh, Mary and I got married um, at the age of 20, and it was 1990, many years ago. And uh, for our wedding, we were gifted some gifts. Uh, One of them was a small two-person tent. Uh, one uh, One of the gifts was two flannel Coleman sleeping bags that you could zip together to just make one big sleeping bag. It's kind of cool. And then we were given a cooler that we still have. It doesn't work very well. We still have it. Uh, we still have the sleeping bags too. But here's the thing. Um, we put those to use right away because our honeymoon that we had planned was a couple of weeks of camping. And so we started in Sargent, Nebraska, Broken Bow really, and we drove west We actually came right through this area, Highway 92, went past Chimney Rock and saw that. I think both of us, it was the first time. And then we drove into Wyoming and we headed north. And our goal, our destination ultimately was going to be Waterton, Canada, the north end of Glacier National Park. And so we camped the whole way. And we had a great time. We loved it. We thought it was awesome. Uh, We discovered through that that we were camping people. And so when our kids came along, as they came along, most of them uh, were in the tent camping at a pretty young age, um, and they kind of grew up around that. So we had adventures, all kinds of adventures that way, as we lived in different parts of the country and moved around, and um, we would go on hikes, and we'd go fishing and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, At the ripe old age of 47, Mary and I decided to graduate to a pop-up camper, uh, to which our children called us sellouts said this isn't real camping in a pop-up on a mattress you know it's funny that camping (laughs) and I'm not I'm not going to be a camping snob here okay but camping really is the idea originally right the idea is to get out of our normal environment and get into a different environment so part of the reason we were in a tent is we wanted to feel the fresh air we wanted to hear the animals at night you know we wanted to uh, we wanted to experience that. We would build a campfire. We wanted to smell like smoke a little bit, right, and just be in that environment. We oftentimes would cook over a fire. And and uh, our kids knew a couple of rules, that when you're camping, everything tastes better. And if you drop something, you got a good five to ten seconds before anything is going to get on it. You can just pick it back up, dust it off. It's still edible, right? Um, so, I mean, we were looking for a different environment, it's funny, and again, I'm not picking on anybody, please, but, um, but it's funny how we've kind of, in our country, created a way to go camping that pretty much is the same experience as though we were at home, because <laughs> our campers have the same kind of beds, and the same kind of cushy furniture, and the same kind of kitchen, and running water, and heat, right, and TV, and it's almost like we can go camping and not go outside, right? I mean, that really isn't, not picking on anybody, that really isn't the purpose. And so what we, as we look at John chapter 15 today and Jesus and his call to a different way of living, sometimes uh, as we follow Jesus or we grow up maybe in a home where we were taught uh, the Bible and we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but we, we really maybe add church attendance, we add some things to our lives, but is there really occurring within us, that transformation, that different encounter and experience as we live our lives. That is what Jesus, we're going to see today, really is after. In our passage, Jesus is going to use a metaphor that his audience would have been familiar with. We're going to teach on a little bit so hopefully we can understand it just as well. But the metaphor is meant to describe what a relationship with Jesus is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to affect us. The first principle we see in this passage is it starts off with if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to experience the life that he offers offers us. First of all, we must get connected to him. And so first point is you must get connected to Jesus. That's where it starts. Let's read the first four verses of John 15. He says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot, produce, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Of A grapevine, right? That's the metaphor. You and I may not know... Ah, we might know a little bit about grapevines, but we're not, like, immersed, right, in in grapevine uh, uh, practice and, and that part of agriculture. We have other areas that we may know more about because of our area and what we grow here and, and how agriculture works. But in Jewish culture, a grapevine and grapes were so central to their world, so central to their life and economy that... Everybody probably would have had a picture of what Jesus was talking about pretty quickly and understood the, the principles he was teaching here. Um, grapes and, and grapevines were just a huge part of Middle Eastern culture. They, um, they used them a lot. Of course, mostly, probably, they created wine, which was a staple of their diet and their life. But, you know, they had raisins, they had other things that they did with grapes, but it was just a big part of their life. And so they'd all walk past grapevines. It probably had her vineyards. They all had vineyards, probably close enough in proximity. They'd seen them get worked. And so the principle here that Jesus is communicating, a grapevine is just that. It's a, it's a base. It comes out of the ground as a trunk. It usually splits into two uh, branches or, or um, uh, two pieces of the vine branch out. I'll say it that way. And then what comes out of those that vine are branches. They grow out every year. And they grow quickly and aggressively. That's the way grapevines are. And they produce grapes. That's the purpose of the grapevine. And so when Jesus says, listen, here's how it works. I am the vine. Meaning he is the, uh, the root, the connection, the source. He also says, I'm the true vine. The true grapevine. When he says that, he's really Giving us again a metaphor for life here. And Jesus is saying, I'm the true source of life. And so, you, he says, you're the branches. And they would have had a picture of branches growing out of these grapevines again every year, growing aggressively. And he says, Here's the deal the branches, you, the branches, you're to produce fruit, you're to grow grapes. And he just very casually says, if there's a branch that's not producing grapes, it gets cut off, right? It's thrown away. It's useless. Of course they would have said, yeah, what's the point of having a branch on a, grape, a grapevine? And a gardener that has a vineyard and doesn't work the grapevine, doesn't cultivate it, is not going to produce. And so the purpose of the vineyard was to grow grapes. And so if you're a branch not producing fruit, he says they get cut off, and, and, then, um, and the gardener is going to prune the branches that even do produce because by produce, uh, pruning them, they produce more. This is the metaphor. We see this idea of grapes and, and vines all throughout the Bible. It's actually referenced in several different places. One is in Revelation chapter 14, where we see kind of a time of judgment. And, uh, and there's two grapevines. vines. One is the vine of heaven, and the other is the vine of earth. And the vine of earth is uh, what's connected to the vine of earth are the people that don't believe in Jesus are not following him. And so uh, what's said of them is that they draw their meaning, their sustenance, their satisfaction from the world. And then the vine of heaven is represented by those who believe in Jesus and follow him. And, and what's, uh, what's implied by the passage is that those people draw their meaning, their sustenance, right, their satisfaction in life from their relationship with God. And so we see this idea of vines being a source of life and growth occurs from them. And this is the picture that Jesus is painting. In order to have true life, we've gotta be connected to him. I wonder if you are connected to Jesus. The Bible tells us the way to get connected to him is by believing who he is. Jesus said he was the son of God who came from heaven God in the flesh. He took on a human body. He walked the earth among us doing things that only God can do and that he ultimately died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He rose again on the third day. He appeared to his disciples to many people. As 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, the evidence is there that he did rise from the dead. And then he returned to heaven. And, and, uh, and so this is the gospel, kind of the core of the message. And getting connected to Jesus is to believe that, that he is God, right? To look into the evidence, it's there. And to put our belief, our trust in him, that his death paid for our sins. That's how you get connected to Jesus. I wonder if you're connected to him. True life only comes from him. And Jesus says, you got to be connected to me. The fruit that he talks about is also talked about in the Bible in many different places. Here's the kind of fruit that will be produced in your life if you're connected to Jesus. You're going to praise God. You're going to praise God. Worship him, praise him, celebrate who he is, what he's done, what he does. You're going to see his activity in your life, and you're going to praise him. You're going to, uh, be, you're going to give to God's work. What we also see in Scripture is the idea of giving to fuel, giving out of our resources, giving out of our time, serving. All of that comes from a person whose life is connected to Jesus. That's part of the fruit that will be produced. There's good works, which Ephesians 2.10 talks about. We're created to do good. That's going to be the uh, the fruit that will be produced. There's good character. That we'll look in a minute, Galatians 5, and 23, talk about that character. That's going to come out of our lives. It's going to be produced in and through us. And then we're going to reproduce ourselves by leading others into a relationship with Jesus, by cr- making disciples. Remember our mission statement as a church, that we're a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who share the gospel where we live, work, and play. That this is the fruit of the life of a person connected to Jesus. We must first be connected to him. He's the vine, we're the branches. Next, as we move on in the passage, we learn that we must stay connected to him. Secondly, if you're going to experience the transformation that Jesus is talking about, you must stay connected to Jesus. Let's continue reading in chapter 15, verse 5. Yes, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, listen, you can do nothing. Not asking us to do a bunch of good stuff on our own. He's not asking us to produce all these good things, to generate all this, uh, all this fruit without a connection to him, without his support. In fact, he says without him, we can't do any of it, right? Verse six, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Verse 7, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. If you walk with me, he says, if you stay connected to me, if you remain in me, then you're going to produce fruit and I will fuel and resource the work that I've called you to do. You can ask for anything. And as you work, right, as a part of, my, uh, as a part of what I'm doing, if you're producing that fruit, then I'm gonna resource you. You can ask me for anything. You have what you need to get the job done. Verse eight, when you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. In order to produce anything meaningful, lasting, you and I must be connected to Jesus must have a meaningful connection to him. We can be good Christians and we can even do the right things. We can spend time reading scripture even. We can, we can go through our prayer time. We can do our, uh, our rituals, if you will, our disciplines. We can get to church. We can do the right things. But Jesus asks us to stay connected to him in a way that life, our life is coming from him. He is the source of the life that we live. You know the challenge for us is that we live in a world that woos us and calls us and distracts us to find our meaning in and through what it has to offer. And Jesus says, no, 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 you you were designed, people, you were designed to produce fruit that can only come through a connection to me. If you stay connected to me, then you'll produce that kind of fruit Jesus says, you know, if the branches aren't producing fruit, then they wither, they get cut off, they get thrown in the fire. And uh, parables do not teach us theology specific. So we don't find our our kind of theology of salvation in the parables, but we look for the spiritual principles. And so this sounds a lot like, in a way, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember when he uh, says, hey, uh, you people, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, right? So he's describing us and the purpose that we uh, fill on the earth. Salt brings out the flavors in the earth. Our connection to God, our following him, uh, Jesus influencing us means that we're different than the people around us. And as we walk the earth, we help them see what life is really about. Because they watch us, they experience us, they interact with us. (laughs) We're the light of the world. Uh, We're not to... As the the old song used to say, we're not supposed to put our light under a bushel and hide it. No, we're supposed to live for Jesus out in front of everybody in a way that they can see and identify us and see who we are. And in seeing who we are, they're going to see who God is. This is the way we're to live. Now, Jesus says in Matthew 5, if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? It gets thrown away. The purpose of the teaching of salt and light and branches is to teach us the purpose of life and how we're to live it. We must get connected to Jesus and remain connected to him to live our lives in the way that he wants, to produce what he wants us to produce. There's a purpose for you and I being here on this earth. As followers of Jesus, little Christ, right? That's what Christian means, little Christ Um, that we represent him, that we're following him, that we're living differently, and the world can see, again, see him through us. That is the reason we're here. And so we've got to connect to that purpose, that mission, so that it helps us stay uh, connected to him and to realize why we need to stay connected to him. Practically speaking, our lives cannot be what they're meant to be if we're not connected to him and if we don't stay connected to him. I wonder if you know how to stay connected to Jesus. I mean, I just described how to get connected to him. We put our trust in him, and we know that when we do that, we are saved, we move from death to life. Jesus comes into our lives, and we have uh, the Holy Spirit within us. But do you know how to stay connected? Do you have the skills? Have you developed the, the ability to stay connected? I mean, certainly it starts with us guiding the affection of our heart, making sure that we love Him, that we love Jesus, that we're we want His connection to our lives, we want His influence in us. But then um, we we need to develop the the skills and abilities to stay connected and grow in that. Um, I just we just started a discipleship group here. Um, I'm leading with a group of men in our church, and and uh, just kind of came about. Um, God kind of just. Um, uh, brought it about and so we're, we're learning in it it's a study called every man a warrior we're learning how to do quiet times and and we're gaining that skill to spend time with God to stay connected to Jesus and we we learn in this that the base block of life of a successful life and this is directed for men but it is a love relationship with Jesus that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage there's a lot of Christians that get frustrated this isn't working I'm not finding victory, I'm not finding meaning, I'm not finding the strength. I get wore down, I get beat up, I get discouraged, and it just doesn't seem like God's helping me. And we kind of lob up these Hail Mary prayers and we ask God to help us in our moment of crisis, but we don't have a way in which we're developing a relationship with Him, right? That's deep, that we're connected to Him and we're drawing our life from Him each and every day. And this, of course, comes through things like A quiet time where we learn to connect with him every day and stay connected. Jesus desires for us to produce good fruit. In order to do that, we need to get connected to him. We need to stay connected. As we move through this passage, the next thing we encounter is this reality that the transformation, this transformation that Jesus wants to bring about in us, this fruit production that comes as we stay connected to him, It happens as a result of this relationship that we develop with Jesus. The next principle we see here is that as you stay connected to Jesus, you will learn to love. You'll learn to love. Um, This love that Jesus is going to talk about is at the core of us becoming who he wants us to be. Let's continue to read in verse 9. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other. In the same way, I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. This love that he wants to produce in us, that he tells us to, to step into and remain in, to walk in, to breathe in, to have, uh, fill our, our lives, it comes from him. If you and I don't experience God's love on a regular basis, then we're not going to be able to love the people around us. And we'll find that love does not permeate our relationships, but conflict, anger, um, discord, those things will start to define our relationships. The people around us, we just won't seem to be able to keep relationships with others. We'll find there's constant strife relationships are the marrow of life. And Jesus says, look, if you walk in me or if you remain in me, then you're gonna experience this love. I'm gonna love on you. And then he says, that's gonna to lead to a joy-filled life. <laughs> you're gonna have so much joy that it's gonna overflow. It's gonna bubble out of you and, and and run on to other people. You're gonna affect the people around you with this joy. Relationships are the marrow of life. Usually we spend quite a bit of time trying to initiate, maintain, keep relationships, keep them in good order, keep them uh, working well. A lot of the frustration in our lives comes when relationships break down. Some of us have decided it's so complicated we're just not going to do that, right? Um, We have all kinds of reactions to relationships, but everybody needs and wants to be connected to others in a meaningful way. And Jesus says the source of that is really coming from him. He's going to teach us how to have good relationships. And so we open our life to Jesus. And when we do, he comes in and he loves on us. And he loves on us and loves on us and lo- loves on us. And he teaches us how to love others. This is at the core of what Jesus is talking about, this transformation that he wants to bring into our lives. Um, the mission, if you will, the fruit that he's asking us to produce and that he wants to see produced through us, it comes as a result of this love that transforms us. Um, had a guy this week in our church send me a text, and a few weeks ago, it's been a while ago, but I kind of talked about this um, move in our culture to bring us to a place where we're, um, in, in the eyes of some in our culture, it's an elevation of our interaction with each other and with other people, where we're, we're maybe loving them at a higher level, and we're, um, we're doing a better job. And, and the words used are, um, you know, diversity and, and equity and inclusion. And maybe you've heard those words that get bantered about now in our culture. And they sound really good. They sound like they're coming from a place of just accepting more people and, and uh, loving on people better and treating other people better. And so we kind of look that week, are these really, these values that are being uh, kind of pushed in our culture, do they come from Scripture or not? Um, and the conclusion that, that I came to in that was they don't. They're, they're a skewed version of what God teaches us and what the New Testament teaches us in terms of relationships. But as a result of that, one of the guys in church started sending me, Uh, Because his company sends out updates with this diversity, inclusion, equity, inclusion. So he gets um, recommendations and encouragement, right, to change and to do this more. And uh, he sent me one this week that said something like this. You've heard of the golden rule, which is to treat others the way you want to be treated. And he said, what we're going to ask you to do is to step up to the platinum rule. And the platinum rule says to treat others the way they want to be treated. And that might include or does include, you know, um, using the pronouns that someone else wants you to use to refer to them and talk to them as they identify and to honor that. And uh, certainly, I can understand how um, that sounds like a higher level of love, to treat other people the way they want to be treated. I mean, if I treat them the way I want to be treated, then that's selfish, right? I mean, it's better than, than it could be worse. And Jesus taught the golden rule, and it's a, it was a huge step up. Uh, for culture. But this sounds like another step up, like a higher level, more empathetic, more understanding. Isn't this the greatest level of love that you could achieve? Treat other people the way they want to be treated. Well, I sent back a response, and I don't know what you think of it, but this is what I said, that as Christians, people who know God, we're actually called to a higher level of living, and that is the titanium rule. You know, when the devil has a step up, God has another one, right? Do you know this? Okay. The titanium rule. And this is the highest level of love that you and I can, uh, can show to others. Because this is the kind of love that God shows to them. And that is to do unto others what God would do to them. That's the highest level. You're not gonna get a greater level of love than what God, how he treats others, how he sees others. And here's what I said Whether someone has accepted the identity that God gave them, that's still the identity that they really have. And so for me to love them is to see them and view them the way God does. Now, as we live in our world, we're going to be challenged to love. And the word love has a lot of um, pseudo manifestations that aren't true, they're false. God calls us to really understand love. Jesus says, I'm going to teach you to really love others. In order to do that, though, we've got to be connected to him. 2015, um, I found myself three years into an effort to be a part of starting a new church and was working uh, really hard at that. And, of course, it took a lot of energy. Of course, it took a lot of uh, focus and and took uh, everything I had to, to pour into that and, and, to try to see things grow and work and, and see fruit produced. Um, but something difficult happened in 2015 is that I found myself in a season where a pretty active person, uh, running, you know, um, every other day, every week, uh, pretty active, pretty able to kind of get myself up and get going, uh, self-motivated. Okay. Well, was I found myself in a place where I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed and, um, and I, I was pretty disoriented. I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, but I literally couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And, um, and my wife of course started to notice what's going on. And uh, I didn't really know what to say. I didn't really know what was going on to me, but I found out through a period of process of time that I was going through maybe what would be referred to as a burnout, uh, where you're just fried. Okay. And, uh, so your emotional energy's gone mentally, everything, you're just toast. And, uh, and so that's where I was, and, and fortunately, because um, my, my wife helped, and, and like I was able to get, get some help and, and get things moving in the right direction again. But, but what over a process of time, God really showed me that what really my problem was in that, and there's a lot of factors, but one of the big issues for me is that that connection to Jesus had gotten neglected, and that I had replaced doing God's work, With the idea that I had a close relationship with him. And the sad thing is, I didn't really notice it for a long time. And I thought everything was fine and I thought I was doing great. And yet, God allowed me to get in a place where I would learn an important lesson. And that is that we cannot thrive in this life without him. And we certainly can't do his work without him. I know a lot of people that have maybe not gone through burnout, but they've gotten hurt. They've gotten damaged, they've gotten wounded in the course of trying to follow Jesus, just be a part of his church maybe. And so they've said, hey, I'm checking out of this. I can't do it, it hurts too much. I can't stay in this. And so they've drifted away. It's the same thing as what I went through, just at a different level. I believe everybody goes through this in some way. And what I had to relearn as a pastor, (laughs) a minister of the gospel, was how to get reconnected in a sense to that vine to live out of that life in Jesus and and to have to draw my life from him 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we can do amazing things for God but if we don't have love we have nothing and we're of no use we're not producing any good fruit here's how this works as a follower of Jesus you live a life for him. And if you want to see this fruit produced in your life, you're going to have to do the same thing that we all have to do. There's no getting around this. You've got to be connected to the vine. You've got to be drawing life out of Jesus. You're going to see it show up if you neglect it. You see it show up in your relationships, like maybe your marriage, where, um, man, things were great. They seem great. And you can even go for a while where it seems like everything's fine. And then all of a sudden stuff hits the fan and you're like, what's going on? I thought we were okay. See, what I found through that time is I had gotten pretty angry, pretty angry in general. My wife didn't appreciate my attitude. My kids certainly didn't appreciate my attitude. I kind of got angry at the whole world. See, anger comes from hurt, and it happens as a result of being not connected to the vine. And so instead of loving people around me, I got angry at them, conflict with them. Jesus had to teach me, man, you've, 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 disconnected. You're not drawing life from me. And so, of course, your relationships are going to suffer. And so our marriages, it can show up there. It can show up in our homes, just in general with our kids. It can show up in our relationship with our neighbors, people we go to church with, people we work with, right? That's what happened to me. And so it's so important that I'm connected to Jesus because then, right, when I am and I stay connected to him, then I'm going to be able to grow in him and this fruit gets produced. It's not an effort thing where I'm trying really hard to be a good person. Our community, our country, this area is full of really good people that are doing it all on their own effort, right? And so why is it that things blow up so much? Well, because we're doing it in our own effort and that may be pretty good, but it's not good enough. We've got to be connected to the vine to produce the fruit that Jesus wants of us. And that shows up in our homes in a healthy marriage with a husband who is lovingly leading, wife who's, uh, who's respectfully supporting her husband. Kids are being uh, taught to honor and their parents and to obey and, and they're being discipled to follow Jesus. In our relationships at work and, and, at, and in our neighborhood, it results in this ability to share the Jesus with others and to help them connect to him because we're producing this kind of fruit. We're walking in love. We just got back from a marriage retreat last weekend. That's why I was gone and a number of us were gone. And we have a board out in the the lobby with pictures and some mission statements that we created at our marriage retreat. And we decided that we needed to live this life on mission, that that would help us stay connected to Jesus, and stay focused in our lives. And so we created mission statements, and you can read some of those out there. They're kind of cool to see different people's take on that. But but as we came back from the marriage retreat, what a lot of us said was we need to be more intentional as a couple of spending time with Jesus, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer. This is how we practically stay connected to him. And there's a reason it's hard. There's a reason it's difficult. If you haven't discovered it's difficult, I would say it's because you're not trying. If you're not trying, everything's easy, right? But if you're trying to stay connected to Jesus, if you're trying to live your life for Him and see this fruit produced, you're going to realize how difficult it can be to actually stay connected to Him, to remain connected to Him, to have this love start to show up in your life and permeate your life and, and fill your home. The reason it's difficult is because we have an adversary. We have opposition. And so the last thing Jesus says in this passage is if you stay connected to Jesus, you will face opposition. Let's read the last portion of this chapter. If the world hates you, Jesus says, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they've seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what was written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of our ministry. If you follow Jesus, if you're trying to live for him, you're gonna be persecuted, you're gonna be tested, there are people come against you. Can I tell you my favorite example of this is Tim Tebow. I I kind of like Tim. I call him Timmy affectionately. I kind of like him. Right? He inspires me. He's a young man, I think, kind of trying to live for Jesus, live out loud. I'm sure he takes a lot of hits. He's talked about one of the first times he started to face opposition at a large scale, and it was when he became kind of a a known figure on the college football scene. He's like, man, all of a sudden they start getting all this hate directed at me. And he's talking to his dad, but why are people hating on me, man? If they just knew me, they would know how I'm a good guy. I like people. The things they're accusing me of, it's not true. Dad, I just wish they'd get to know me. And his dad said, Timmy, they don't want to get to know you. They don't care how good of a person you are. Listen, the truth is, Jesus tells us this. When we stand up for him, when we represent him, we're gonna have opposition, we're gonna get shot at, we're gonna take hits. Not because you're doing something wrong, not because you're being a jerk, because you represent him. That's part of this life, lived for him. We need to know it, we need to be prepared for it, staying connected to the vine helps us work through those things we have a family in our church that went on mission a few years ago they got called up as missionaries out of our church they went overseas and served uh, many years as missionaries and then as a result of following Jesus living for him they faced persecution and they've been working through that and that of course is Travis and Nikki Ray and they have a put a little video together to kind of update you their church on where they're at and things that have been happening. And it's a great example of what happens in this life when we live for him. But let's take a look at this video and get caught up on their life.
1: We're Travis and Nikki Ray. We've been missionaries sent out from Mitchell Breen Church to Papua New Guinea. Um, we're just wanting to share a short uh, video with you guys and talk with you because uh, Mitchell Brain has been a part of our ministry from the time that God's really got active in our lives and called us out. Um, for those of you that don't know, in 2007, um, the Lord led us um, with a group of men from Mitchell Brian to New Orleans uh, to work uh, after Hurricane Katrina. And that's really the starting point for our, our life and our ministry Um God just placed on our heart that he had something a little bit more, uh, a little bit different for us. And um, coming back from that trip, we um, committed our lives to serving God in missions. Not really even knowing what uh, missions were at that point in time. Um, we followed the Lord and trusted him through um, kind of leaving Scott's Bluff, leaving home and going to the Bible school at Waukesha. Um, there we spent uh, two years um Going through Bible school, we followed him through uh, to missions training and with New Tribes Mission in Missouri, and then in um, 2012, the Lord led us over to Papua New Guinea, and today we're just wanting to share just a little bit um, with uh, the church, because you guys have been with us from the very beginning, and we want to say thank you for your partnership, thank you for your support, but we also want to... Um, just share what God's been doing and why we're home. Some of you may have seen that um, in 2019 we, we did come home uh, for some medical. It took us quite a while to um, get ourselves back onto the field of PNG, COVID being some of those things, and we had other things that popped up in our life. But in April of 2021, um, the Lord allowed us to go back to Papua New Guinea and we, we landed back on PNG soil. Um, we weren't there very long, and, and, uh, July 5th, we had an incident that came up in our lives, and some of you may know about it, some of you may not, but we want to share a little bit about that and what we've been up to since.
2: Yeah, so, um, we got to New Guinea in April. Um, we're just kind of getting our feet wet with our coworkers and getting back into ministry. Um, during that time, we had hired a national gal, um, a citizen co-worker to um, help me out in the business office and um, just through um, our time um, spending and training her um, it was just apparent that um, she had some um, mental issues and um, we were forced to have to let her go. Um, during the morning of Um, July 5th, Travis and I called her into the office, and as we were going through just the different um, things that were going on in the office, um, she had um, taken a knife out and had stabbed me in the office, Um, and so, um, yeah, um, that unfortunately had sent... um, us back home Um, for the past year and a half um i've been dealing with just recovering from the um emotional trauma um physically um i'm i'm better but um emotionally it has um taken a toll um and so um at this point um we've just been spending um time with a um, trauma counselor um just learning how and I guess what it looks like to heal, um, which is different for every person. And um, so um, spending time with family has been very healing as well, Um, especially our grandkids. But in the meantime, um, we've had to make some decisions on um, what it looks like to move forward. Um, And so I can Mm -hmm. let you explain a little on that.
1: Working through this trauma is, it's been an eye-opening experience. And it's something that we obviously didn't expect. Um, And when this happened, you know, being in PNG, um, you know, you're kind of forced to figure out what is the next step. And as we're, we're working through these different scenarios, we had two options. One was to stay on the field of PNG and try to heal and try to recover from this incident or to remove ourselves from the field, come home to get help. Um, it took us a month um, to kind of land and basically it was time to make a decision and I had to make the decision that the best place we could heal was coming back home. And um, in that process, um, we've just been exposed to so many different things, so many things regarding emotional and mental health, um, trauma, crises. Um, and it's just been, um, it's been a learning experience. And one of the things when this trauma happened, I had a friend kind of grab me by the arm and he just said, you know, these are the things, Travis, that... Prepare us for ministry. Keep your eyes open. And um, although we are not, we're not healed, you know, that's reality is this, this stuff takes time. We're in the process, um, but we, um, we are ready to engage back in the ministry. Um, but since we've been home, we, we have had to establish life. And so I've gone back into, uh, the workforce building and working. We've kind of been doing that, um, the last, you know, year, year and a half. Um, but we are looking for the next ministry opportunity. We don't see ourselves being able to go back overseas, uh, to Papua New Guinea with Ethnos. So March 31st of 2023, we will be resigning from Ethnos 360 as missionaries. Um, we are looking for other ministry opportunities uh, in our community and um, we are um, pursuing a missionary debriefing center um, it's something that because of this experience we've experienced um, the need to help missionaries um, learn how to unpack um, deal with some of the uh, if you want to say trauma or experiences or just burdens in life, so that when they go back to the mission field, they are ready to engage and they're healthy. Um, It's something uh, that both Nikki and I feel called to do. And um, so we're kind of opening that door, walking through that. We are in the uh, process of building a board, Um, but this is gonna be a long uh, long process. It's not gonna be something that just happens here in the next uh, few months. but we wanted to share our story just briefly with the church because you guys have been with us through uh, through everything from the very beginning. We are very grateful, uh, very appreciative of everybody that's partnered with us that continues to pray with us. Um, and we want to let you guys know that we are not done serving Christ. Um, we've plugged into the community, we're working to provide to build a home, but we are looking for God's next opportunity to get us back involved in the fight, in the battle to serve Christ. So we want to say thank you.
0: Following Jesus is not safe and sanitary. Um, It is difficult and it will involve uh, facing persecution. It'll involve working through being hurt and wounded it is a part of the process. But I can tell you something that in and through those things, like Travis said, that's where Jesus forms us and, and makes us into those people that can help others and really can do his work. Um, it's, a, it's not a spectator sport. It's an all-in activity, following Jesus, being connected to him, remaining in him, learning to love, facing opposition. Uh, one of the camping trips that we went on, our youngest daughter wanted to go fishing one afternoon. And so we were at a lake and there was an inlet where the water's flowing in from three different sources up in the mountains. And that's where the fish kind of would pool around. And so uh, the lake was stocked with rainbow trout. We went out and she threw, she put uh, some bait on her hook. She threw it in. We're waiting, kind of talking. And all of a sudden the line, the line uh, starts moving and the pole bends. And, and she reels in not a rainbow trout, but a brown trout it was a special prize. And she goes, dad, dad. I want to I clean this fish and I want to eat it. I want to do it all myself. And so I thought, wow, that's my girl, right? So I said, yeah. And of course, I had to show her how to do it, but I let her do it herself. And then uh, she, yeah, of course, cleaned that fish and we went back and put it on the fire, some onions and butter. You know, if we walk with Jesus, we stay connected to him. He doesn't want to do everything for us. He'll teach us to do the work of God. And he'll help us along the way. And can I just tell you, there's nothing like that. There's There's nothing like being a part of his work. No matter what it means for us, the opposition, the pain, the hurt, it's all worth it because in the end, we stand before him. There's fruit that's been produced from our lives that will last for all eternity. And that's what I want for you. And that's what I want for us. As we end our service, let's just worship together and recommit ourselves, right? To stay connected to the vine.